Friday afternoon in town, a little bit after one o'clock. Hi, hello, howdy. Michael Benner with Inner Vision now till two o'clock this afternoon. That's uh, pretty much the next hour we get to hang out together and talk about human potential and self-realization, personal and spiritual development, metaphysics and philosophy, comparative religion and such things. This is a program, uh, at least in the Friday iteration, a program largely about the development of consciousness. And and in that we mean identity and motive. Who are you really? And, and, and what do you think you're for? Why are you here? You know, I think it's uh, pretty much a given that sometime by your mid to late 20s, certainly by your early 30s, we we figure out that the uh, rat race to buy stuff and own stuff is pretty hollow. It's not very rewarding. Uh, stuff is nice. I like stuff. I especially like uh, high-tech stuff, gadgets and stuff. I'm really a gadget freak. You know, I was sitting right in front of the uh, computer Wednesday morning waiting for Steve Jobs to announce the latest upgrade in the uh, in the Apple stuff. I really dig all of that stuff. I like material things. But uh, they're always in decay as objects, one of the basic truths of life. And, of course, the satisfaction that comes from acquiring the item and possessing the item, that, too, is in perpetual decay. That seems to be the problem with materialism. And so we have the spiritual side of things, the metaphysical side of things, and that's what this show is about. I'm glad you're with us today. We're going to do an open phones day today to give you, the listener, an opportunity to get on the radio and talk about yourself and your lives, ask questions. I want to do part two to a subject we began to explore last week, smarter than you think, the nature of emotional identity. Now think about the topic there, especially, well, whether you were with us last week or not, there's a lot here. This is a, I guess, I always get a lot of really positive feedback when I do this topic. Smarter than you think, an introduction to emotional identity, or the nature of emotional identity. In other words, what I mean by that, and we touched on it last week and want to develop the idea today and give you more opportunity for phone calls, is that uh, you're not what you think of yourself so much as what you care about. And this is, I don't know uh, if we can say it's a lost secret or if it's never really been discovered except by a handful of women and men throughout the ages, in all cultures, and all times. The very nature of intuition, for example, uh, not taught in school, that there is a source of wisdom within us that reveals not only information to help us solve our, our problems in our daily life and affairs, but better understand the person doing the problem solving. In other words, to really understand who you are as a unique individual. I like to say we have fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of our individuality, but uh, few, if any, skills for discovering 
that individuality and then developing it. So that's what we'll talk about again today. Brooks is our producer, and uh, we'll go to the telephones in a few minutes, sooner than we normally do. And I'll just summarize the, the topic we began last week, and this week we'll do part two. And we got some great guests coming up. I just got an email this week from Guy Finley, prolific author, personal development field. Um, Guy has confirmed that he'll be on this program live in studio on September 28th. We also have coming up, let's see, the end of October or the 1st of November. I have to double-check on that. Andrew Harvey is going to be live in studio. And a number of other really, really good guests coming up. So I want you to stay tuned for that and make it a habit to listen to InterVision on Friday afternoons. Also want to tell you that uh, one of the reasons I'm doing this uh, two-part program last week and part two today is that uh, I'm doing a workshop in uh, Glendale on six successive Sundays beginning the end of the month. Uh, let's see, September 23rd, Sunday, September 23rd. And then we'll conclude the last Sunday in October, which I think is the 28th. Six weeks, see if you can say it three times fast, six successive Sundays, six successive Sundays, noon to three. And this is the last uh, workshop I plan to do in Southern California before moving out of state at the end of November. So I've got a special telephone number set up, and I'll mention this again at the end of the show. Uh, you can always call my regular number, 818-569-3017, and we'll call you back and answer your questions, get you set up and enrolled if you wish. But I, I set up a special number that will make it even easier, and that's 818-973-3154. This is going to be held at the American Red Cross building in Glendale. That's where I normally do my workshops. They've been real good to us. Nice facility. And uh, who knows? You need blood, it's right there, you know. <laughs> and a cookie and a cup of coffee. So uh, 818-973-3154 if you want to enroll or just ask more questions. Uh, or get a little mailing. I get a postcard I can mail you too. But uh, you can call that number anytime, 24-7. Leave a message with your telephone number, of course your full name. And uh, you know the drill, email and uh, your phone number, too, with area code 818-973-3154 for the, uh, for the Emotional Intelligence Workshop. I, we're calling it Finding Yourself in Paradise. And again, emphasis on self, who are you really? And paradise, well, that's really a reference to a place in your mind or in your heart, paradise being... Uh, Christ consciousness or Buddha consciousness. Paradise as a brainwave level that researchers call alpha. That kind of paradise. Visualization and relaxation and extraordinary power when it comes to self-realization and uh, the wisdom available, the intuitive wisdom available that we, uh, we call emotional intelligence or emotional identity. So that's what we want to talk about today, 818-985-5735. I'll summarize the main topics, 985-5735 in the 818 area code if you want to be on the radio this hour. And you'll talk to our producer, Brooks. All right. Well, here's the deal. Smarter than you think is a reference to the fact that there really are two intelligences available to us, and really only one is known. Only one is honored or uh, discussed. Uh, certainly you don't learn in school anything about so-called emotional intelligence, which has come to be called EQ. The research is in. It's uh, It's been ongoing for 10 or 15 years now. It uh, reveals that your EQ is much more responsible for your success in life than any IQ that you may have. In other words, no matter how smart you happen to be mentally or intellectually, 
that doesn't really guarantee success in the world. Because so much of business and so much of your life outside of work has to do with personal relationships. And if you don't have EQ, if you don't have high emotional intelligence, you're not going to have very good relationships. You're not going to have good personal relationships in your marriage with your kids or your parents. You're not going to have very good friends. They're not going to understand you, and you won't understand them. Because, of course, neither of you understand yourselves. And uh, the people you work with at work. Again, um, maybe you're in sales, for example, or, or a rep of some product or service, and you're continually told that product knowledge is the most important thing. Well, you're wrong. Product knowledge is about 10 or 15% of your success. How do you deal with other people? That's the secret to getting on in life, whether it's at work, at home, at play, any place else. And that's emotional intelligence. Well, why don't we hear about it? Why doesn't school teach it to us? I'm not sure of the answer to that. I mean, it begs a larger question. Of, uh, there's a lot of things that school doesn't teach us <laughs> and doesn't seem to want us to know. This country is increasingly becoming dumbed down. It's even uh, hip in some communities not to read, you know, uh, as if you have to be ashamed of the fact that you read or that you aspire to your full potential or or to greatness. And uh, that's a trickle-down con from the top up. That's not some uh, grassroots burgeoning uh, street philosophy. Let's all get stupid. That's definitely a trickle-down thing. And uh, you might say, well, our leadership would have to be pretty stupid to promote that, wouldn't they? Yes, and in fact, I think we have the evidence of that. Um, a little aside, I was just listening to the news on the way in uh, uh, to the radio station this morning. I heard that uh, in Australia yesterday, George Bush referred to the Australian troops as Austrian troops. Remember we used to laugh at Dan Quayle? Yeah. It's like to the point now where you are afraid to laugh anymore. Uh, just we don't even have the words to explain the complete absence of, 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 of intelligence and even competence in Washington. Democrats, too. I'm not just picking on George. It's just that W is such an outstanding example of dumb. So he called the Australian troops Austrian troops. I think he believed he was in Austria. Uh, I think that girl from the Miss Teen pageant is right. We don't, U.S. Americans and such don't have enough maps. So George didn't know if he was in Australia or Austria today. And then referring to APEC, the Asian Pacific Economic Coalition, he called them OPEC. So he's confused. I, there's lots of reasons why we're being dumbed down. And so certainly emotional intelligence is not going to be taught in the schools unless and until enough people demand that part of the curriculum are practical tools and techniques, uh, curricula, workshops for introspection, to, to understand our uniqueness and celebrate as part of the demic process that, uh, hey, I'm not like you. Uh, in, in some really important ways, I'm not like you. And in fact, I don't agree with you, and that's okay. We can still work together in most areas, maybe in all areas. We can emphasize harmony. We can work at the heart of that paradox about unity and diversity. The phrase is not unity or diversity. It's unity and diversity. So can we celebrate our uniqueness, celebrate our individuality, and still get along and cooperate with each other and work together? Well, of course we can, if we find that balance, find that middle way. So emotional intelligence is, again, EQ, or the idea of smarter than you think. Your mental intelligence is not the only intelligence available to you. 
And I guess the second part of that that we developed last week at length is that uh, essentially you have two intelligences, two ways of knowing and understanding things, the mental nature, the one we you know, use when we go to school, is very much objective and about everything in the world except you. And uh, we use it largely by deductive logic, general to specific, comparing and judging. Problem is, each of us is incomparable. Uh, really, we can't be compared to each other except in the most general way. And instead of trying to conform, we should, as I said before, celebrate just how unique each of us is in a universe that really abhors redundancy. Even snowflakes, I like to remind myself, are unique. I mean, why not, why not five or six snowflakes and just crank them out? How come every single one, every grain of sand has to be unique? Uh, there's some sort of message in that, something that speaks directly uh, to anybody interested in philosophy anyway, to meaning of life and, and maybe purpose of life, expressing uniqueness and individuality. Well, my God, why wouldn't you want to know that? How about, you know, yeah, I'm a little weird. Like uh, uh, uh when I read Catcher in the Rye in high school, Holden Caulfield, man, that just saved my life. It's like, this guy's as weird as I am. I'm spared. Because when I was a kid, I knew I was crazy, but I also knew that I could pull off being sane. I could fake being okay. Turned out I was crazy, but so was everybody else. And not enough people are saying, well, that's your unique experience. Celebrate it. Then, of course, I got to college and experimented with psychedelics and knew why I was crazy. <laughs> you know, there's so much more going on. But uh, I'm not calling for psychedelics in school, at least not yet. Just a little bit of emotional intelligence, a little bit of honoring uniqueness instead of uh, treating everybody the same way. And that was fine for the industrial age. Crank them out. Stand in line, toe the line, march in a straight line. When you die, we'll bury you in a line. Toe the line. And uh, for an industrial age, everybody doing the same thing the same way, that makes perfect sense. But we're no longer in an industrial age, so we got to celebrate that uniqueness. And that is emotional intelligence. That's the ability to interpret the meaning of your feelings. That's where it begins. Why do I feel the way I feel? And I'll tell you this, and then we'll go to the phones here. 818-985-5735. 985-KPFK for open conversation on our theme of the day today, emotional identity. Consider this. We've all been to school where only the mental intelligence is trained and used. And we know that thoughts can be wrong. You take a test, and you're graded on how many answers are right and how many answers are wrong. Some of the wrong answers you knew were wrong answers, but every, every once in a while there's a wrong answer that you thought was right. And you might even argue with the teacher and say, wait a minute, this is a trick question. This isn't really wrong. I know this is right. And the teacher says, no, you're out of luck. It's wrong. Yeah, but I thought it was right. I know you thought it was right. So, in other words, thoughts can be wrong. Has anybody ever said to you, has anyone ever proposed to you in your whole life that emotional feelings cannot be wrong? That you have two intelligence, the mental intelligence, which you know about, which could be right or wrong, and the emotional intelligence, EQ, that few people know about, and yet, which can never be wrong. I think you could misinterpret an emotional feeling. You could misunderstand it, especially when emotions flare, because emotional intelligence requires that to interpret the meaning of your emotional feelings, you have to be calm. You have to calm the emotional waters. 
You don't get any intelligence from emotions when you're highly worked up, anxious and stressed and hurt and upset or angry or whatever. So, especially in a, in a, in a high anxiety state, you could misinterpret or misunderstand your emotions. The biggest mistake we make is project the emotion on the stimulus, the person or the group or the situation that made me feel that way. We try to understand what we can about the outer world from an emotion that is essentially a personal response. Big secret there. Emotions are responses and are very personal and very intimate. Again, that's where your identity is bound up in what you care about and why you feel the way you, the way you feel. And so, just contemplate that for a second. That's pretty far out. I mean, compare emotional feelings to physical feelings. Have you ever, have you ever had a physical feeling that was wrong? Like a headache or a cramp or a deep body ache and somebody said to you about your physical discomfort, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, don't feel that way. <laughs> You'd look at them like they're crazy. What do you mean, don't feel? What do you mean I shouldn't feel this way? I, I do. I got a headache. What do you want? My, my belly hurts. I gotta, I'm cramping. <laughs> what do you mean I shouldn't feel that way? And yet that's the way we talk to ourselves and to our friends about emotional feelings. Oh, don't feel that way. You shouldn't feel. Why? Maybe those feelings are not wrong. Maybe like physical feelings, emotional feelings are symptoms. Ah, but if we saw them as symptoms, we'd have to be responsible, wouldn't we? Extraordinary power and freedom in that. Let's go to the phones and see what you all think about emotional intelligence. There I said it again. See what you all think. See how you feel <laughs> as well as what you think. Part two continued from last week. Smarter than you think. We're talking about emotional identity. Let's begin in Winnetka with Linda. You're on KPFK on Intervision with Michael Benner. Hi, Linda. Hi, Michael. Uh, thanks for taking my call. And you know what? Let me say first, I'm, I feel really bad that you're going to be leaving because you're my favorite spot. I always listen to, uh, to the one-two-two uh, spot, but you're my favorite on Friday. Well, I'll always be podcast, and uh, things are still up in the air here as far as KPFK goes. We will be leaving the state at the end of November, but um, I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to work out with KPFK. So just stay tuned. Um, let it develop and unfold. We have amazing technology now. We have satellites and digital telephones and well, I know that we do, but I'm older. I'm going to be 59 in December, and I don't even know how to use a computer. <laughs> anyway, uh, my uh, question uh, I have for a, you. I have a secret for you in that regard. A big pardon? I have a secret for you in that regard. What's that? Learning how to use a computer, you get a teenager. Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any in your family? I'm serious. No, I don't. I never had any kids. Well, oh, so you wouldn't have grandkids then? No. Well, someplace in your family or some friend, someplace there's a teenager who would love to set you up. And I'm not saying you have to have a computer, but... Um, well, I bought one, and I can't figure it out. I bought a Dell laptop over uh, the QVC channel. Yeah. And I tried to get help on that, and I was talking to somebody in India. Oh, and, yeah, that's part of the problem. I know nothing about, I, I don't know the terminology. I don't know when they say to find this, where to find it, or anything. Yeah. But, but that, that wasn't what I called. What I called is, Community I college. have always been told I've got a really, really high IQ. I'm supposed to have tested over 140. Uh-huh. But I know that uh, coming from an extremely dysfunctional family, and moving constantly when I was a kid, and a lot of different things that have happened. I don't think my EQ is very high. And my question to you is, how do you, how do you raise that? Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly what my workshop is going to be about. Now, that's an 18-hour workshop over six weeks, so... I can't answer it in a couple of minutes, but it's... Okay, because I want to go to the workshop, too, okay. but 
I didn't catch the entire number. Oh, it's uh, you got a pencil? I uh, guess. Okay, it's uh, 818-973-9673. Uh-huh. And we're Excellent. limited. We're limited to about 40 people, and it's already half full, so... Three one five four uh, nine yeah. seven three three one five four. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Yeah. Now, um, nevertheless, let me give you an answer, a, a, an attempt. First of all, um, I think everybody knows the spontaneous nature of the gut feeling, or um, even what we call uh the or what is it technically called eureka illumination the aha experience ah yes okay well that's the intuitive nature uh stands one leg in the mental and one leg in the emotional and through relaxation slow deep breathing um you know calming the waters which is a christian metaphor that christians never talk about why did Christ walk on water and what's that all about? Uh, calming the emotional waters takes fear and anxiety away. And when your body feels safe as a result of slow, deep breathing and physical relaxation, and the subconscious mind feels safe, then the still small voice, so to speak, comes through. And the process of receiving these ahas or these gut feelings, these subtler uh, wisdom that speaks to you, uh, that whole process becomes enhanced. Conversely, when you live in a city in Los Angeles in a day and age like the, well, we're living in, early 21st century, there, there, there's so much stress and anxiety. Our minds are so full of thoughts demanding our attention. Six, eight, ten thoughts at a time saying, listen to me, know me, what about this? Did you pay those bills? You didn't eat lunch yet. What about that? When's this ever going to get fixed? Did you make that phone call? Did you do this? Did What are the chances, you see? Unless or until we breathe, relax, reflect, introspect, contemplate, meditate, I don't care what word you use, but it's a conscious process of slowing down, to convince the subconscious mind and the body that you are not in danger, you're really quite safe. And then it turns its attention away from survival to these, well, I'll say wisdom, beyond intelligence. Emotional intelligence is really wisdom with a capital W because it's so personal. It's so subjective and uh, a perfect mate to the intelligence and knowledge available about the world around us from our mental nature. How's that? That's excellent. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. In fact, it reminds me a long time ago when I was in my late teens, uh, some friends and I, sometimes if we couldn't um, clear, speak clearly to each other and have the other person uh, understand where we were coming from, we'd just kick back, smoke a joint together, totally relax, Let and it then up. we would yeah. come up with amazing ideas. Yeah, and feel each other's vibes, we used to say. Completely. Yeah, well, that sympathetic vibration is real. And the quantum physicist proved 70 years ago, hard physicists, not, you know, just metaphysics or philosophy. And, right. uh I shudder at the fact that I just used the word just in front of metaphysics because it's my whole life. But what I'm saying is the empiricist, the, the, the physical uh, scientist, the quantum physicist discovered 70 years ago and verified repeatedly the so-called observer effect, that you cannot separate the attitude, belief system, or consciousness of the observer of an event from the outcome of that event. Your, your attitudes, your beliefs, your consciousness are inextricably linked to the outcome of every event. I, I, I've heard of that even with double-blind studies. Well, imagine if, if that gets out. <laughs> this, uh, in the last couple of years, this DVD, The Secret's been very popular, and a lot of people are beginning to learn this, but 
there are still those who go, oh, no, this is paganism, this is witchcraft, this is mind science. Well, it is all of those things and is more. Is Secrets? Is that a book? Yeah, there is a book that was taken from the DV and uh, from the DVD. And, and yet that law of attraction is found in, my goodness, just about every personal development book there is that's ever been written, the idea that that uh, whatever you put your attention on tends to expand. We tend to magnetically attract, like a sympathetic vibration, anything that we focus on, positive or negative. It's like if you found the right note on the keyboard of a piano, the snare drum over in the corner of the room would vibrate all by itself. But it would have to be the right note for that snare drum to vibrate in sympathy with the invisible, unfelt vibrations in the room. That's amazing. Well, that's the way reality works. And your brain puts out vibes. And again, when we were stoned in the 60s, that's exactly what, hey, man, I feel the vibe. I understand what you're, that's real. That's, in my business, we call that rapport. To be on rapport. Men and women who spend time together, or any coupling, women and women, men and men. <laughs> any coupling, when we spend time together and really care about each other, you, you create this rapport to the point where you know each other's thoughts, you begin to finish each other's sentences, you laugh at jokes that haven't even been said yet because you know where the other one's going. When you lay down and sleep, even your heart synchronizes with the heartbeat of your partner. Uh, I know, I I know that that happens because I've experienced that with people, and even with my cat. Yeah, yeah. I just have my cat now because my husband died a few years ago. But my cat, uh, I just wonder where she is, and a second later she'll come up and and be standing there looking at me like, "Here I am. What do you need?" Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you can do that. You get somebody that you have lost track of, and. uh, you don't know how to get a hold of them, close your eyes, relax. The thing is we have to do these exercises in states of deep relaxation. And some people have a hard time feeling safe enough to allow themselves to feel safe. But when you breathe and relax and let go, if you thought of a friend that you haven't heard from in a long time, bring them to mind and visualize in your mind's eye how they look, how much you love them, uh, how much fun you used to have, what great mates you used to be, and, and and just imagine them calling you on the phone or writing you a letter. See what happens. Give me a call. Let me know if it works. Okay. I think you'll be amazed. I have a friend that calls that the royal telephone. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a parting shot. Oh, me? Yeah, final comment. Okay, well, I, I hope I can get into your, in fact, I'm going to, to try and call to get into your workshop as soon as I hang up. And good, good. Thank we, you for being there, because I love the ageless wisdom that you bring to us every Friday. Thank you very much. And if you're no longer here, you will be sorely missed. Well, I'll always be here in spirit, and again, I'll, I'll have the uh, the podcast or the webcast and the telephone coaching, and who knows, maybe we'll work something out with KPFK. We'll see. Okay. Thanks. Thank you so much for being there I for betcha. us. You betcha. There is a Im- implicit in this conversation is another aspect of of the wisdom, and I guess it's true for mental intelligence as well, and that's that the mental nature and the emotional nature both exist on a plane of shared form. Can you dig that phrase? That thoughts are things... They may not have shape and size, they may not have weight, but thoughts are things, and emotions are things, and they exist on a shared plane of form so that we can feel the vibration or empathize or create rapport in both areas, mentally uh, and emotionally as well. And obviously in the physical plane, Uh, This is a plane of shared form because I can pick up an object and hand it to you. You can hold it and hand it back to me. And two physical dense objects cannot share the same place at the same time. 
Well, the emotional and mental nature in metaphysics exist in the same way. Uh, it's like a three-layered uh, cake. Physical layer, emotional layer, mental layer on the top. And those two are planes of shared form. So I can hand you a thought or a feeling in the same way I could hand you this object. But again, not in normal consciousness and certainly not in the high-stress, high-anxiety consciousness that most people spend their whole lives in these days. Got to relax, gang. Got to feel safe. Breathe. Let go. My favorite suggestion from the ancient Tibet schools of wisdom. Uh, well, I say it like butter on a warm day. In Tibet, it was uh, lard in the sunshine. Feel like lard in the sunshine and just melt. Let's go to West L.A. And uh, Robert, you're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Hello, Michael. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Fine. Very, 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 very good. Better and better. I'm feeling great. Hey, once again, a, a gigantic chasm has developed here. When I originally called your producer, I had one thought, and since that time you've talked about missed so many things, it's hard to know what to say at this point. That's my usual usual conundrum when I get to this moment. Well, I'd say go with the first thought. Go with your well, first impression. The first, the first thought... Uh, Something you said very early on um, prompted me to come back to the discussion of the heart, which, of course, is the foundation of everything that we're talking about. Uh, the heart is the foundation, the source of what I would call feeling intelligence, you call emotional intelligence. It's really the same thing. And you had said something about we pursue things, we're, we're, we're in competition with each other, we're pursuing things that have nothing to do with who we are or what we care about. And that's because we've lost connection with the fundamental experience that comes with the realization, I am, which is a heart experience. But it's a deep one. It lives in all of us as a memory, and some of us it lives consciously. But there is a bliss a complete contentment that is connected with that experience that people have forgotten, which, if they're connected with again, suddenly all the stuff they thought important sort of drops away. Yeah. There, this is so important, this phrase, I am. Many people think of Descartes, and I think, therefore, I am. But it certainly, as you know, predates that. There, there, there has been in, in the world in various uh, periods of time even an I am movement, a non-religious philosophical movement, of uh, of stating who you are, and then there's that phrase I am, that I am. Are you familiar with that? Um, Have you ever heard? Uh, I think it's even in the Christian text. Sometimes. Yeah, I, I am. I am that I am, and then, of course, the great Nisargadatta is famous for saying, I yeah. am that by which I know I am. Or I think in Sanskrit it's uh, Tisvat Asi, which means thou art that. That, yeah. Uh, but you got to be careful, because if you say it like a lot of Christians do, I am that I am, that's Popeye. Yeah. I am that I am, and that's all what I am. But if if you put the emphasis on that, I am that I am, as opposed to this I am, now we have an opportunity to reinforce the concept that you're putting forth, which is that we are ultimately the consciousness, the awareness, the the observer behind the thought, emotion, and physical forms. And that requires a quiet state to experience, and it is, uh, it does provide bliss and inner peace and profound wisdom, and ironically is terrifying to most people. Yeah. Terrifying. If I could tell you the number of people that come to see me in my private practice, for example, complaining of serious problems like panic attacks, for example, and they come once, and they don't come back. And you might say, well, Michael, you must not be very effective then. 
No, if I was less effective, they'd be more more likely to come back. They come back because they find out they really can give it up. But there's this supreme irony that human beings en masse feel safer with their familiar fears and feel as if they're in greater danger when they begin to relax and feel calm. They want their fear back. It feels exciting to people to be terrified. And if that's the only meaning in your life is terror and fear and helplessness uh, helplessness and, and, and victimization, if that's your story, well, if I give all that up, I may not have a story to tell. Kind of like the child, the battered child taken from its mother who's the abuser and yet striving for nothing else than to be back with the abuser because that's all it knows. Yeah, and and sometimes that's called um, a comfort zone, but it's not. There's nothing comfortable about it. It's familiarity. Yeah, there's a certain security in the yeah. familiar, yeah. even if it's perverse. That's right. The other thing I want to say real quick before I go is, because you've, you've basically said it in a million different ways, but I think it's important to for everybody out there as kids. Um, Feeling intelligence, emotional intelligence, gets gummed up at an early age precisely because we have no patience with the young ones. That's a good point. And patience, going back to the first caller, what does it take? It takes primarily patience with oneself to bring it back and to cultivate it because what you're essentially asking for is the most bizarre thing about this is that the feeling is actually a thought. There's a gigantic amount of datum from the unconscious that is rising into consciousness but has not found a verbal expression yet. Well, it can and it will, but not if you're rushed and not if you're self-censoring and not if somebody's standing there waiting for an answer. In our society, if you ask a child what he wants or what she wants, and they don't come up with a response instantaneously, we think they're lying or devious or they're just dim-witted. Well, and and also there is a tendency, especially with the boy children, on the part of both mom and dad, to teach the the the, the boy child that um, to be sensitive to emotions is a weakness. And you'll be a girl or a sissy. And so, you know, no son of mine is going to play with dolls. No son of mine is going to cry. You know, shut up. I'll give you something to cry about. All of that stuff. I mean, we're really creating warriors and soldiers. Look at our sports. Look at the, I mean, we wonder we wonder why kids are violent, you know. And at the same time, we're divorcing them from their deepest source of intelligence. There you go. Incredibly, incredibly problematic. Exactly. You've got to do that if you want if you want to teach war. I think that's the circumcision conspiracy. I hardly ever talk about that, but I'm absolutely amazed. I understand the Jewish tradition that has some sort of religious significance. Well, okay, you want to circumcise your children for religious reasons? That's one thing, but. To do it as a matter of so-called public health and never ask the parents and never use anesthesia, that to me is the perverse part of it. Why would you take a, a little boy who's just pushed his way out of that birth canal, who's suffering from this uh, spiritual separation anxiety, here's this beautiful little soul suddenly in a separate body, and now you're going to grab the most tender and sensitive part of his body and without any anesthesia at all, chop off the tip. It's like, welcome to the world. Yeah, welcome to life, kid. Yeah, welcome so. to war and misery and racism and sexism and uh, self-loathing. Well, it's absolutely barbaric. It, it is it's barbaric. A, it's a, a minefield of a discussion, too. Uh, too bad you don't have another hour. Well, we'll do another show on circumcision. I mean, Americans are shocked, you know, that in some part of the world, 
some parts of the world, clitorectomies are still done. They're, they're, they're shocked, but they still take their little boy children. And here, excuse me, we got this little, you want to lop that off, Doc? You won't be needing that. I mean, I don't understand why, why people still take their children to the Catholic Church where they get raped. Well, it's another, that's a two hour show. Here, uh, you people that are just, what was the decision here in LA, Cardinal Mahoney? $700 million? $700 million, let's shut them up, let's buy them out. And, and now I'm gonna have, bring in my little baby to you and you can baptize him in the, in, in the name of Christ and then take him in the back room and fondle him for, and this has been going on for hundreds of years. You know. I have to hasten to add, by the way, that I pull on Christianity a lot as in a, in a study of comparative religion and embracing all religion. I find the, the teachings of the Christ to be extremely profound, full of magnificent truth. The sadness is what the Catholic and Protestant churches have done to it. And, uh, I, I, again, why, why you would, uh, take your children to be baptized at a place where there is so much pedophilia as an institution. And, oh, by the way, let's make sure they're circumcised without anesthesia. We talk about not letting kids feel their feelings. Good grief. Yeah, it almost leaves me speechless. If, if churches, if pastors, preachers, were to teach what the Christ actually taught, the churches would be empty. Yeah. <laughs> Which exactly. was exactly the point. Yeah, it, it should be. be a church. Yeah. You could get together for, for fellowship, get together, sing some songs, get together and worship, but the idea of understanding the teachings and applying them in your lives, ultimately, that's very personal. And... uh I'm, I'm okay with, uh, well, uh, we better leave it at that because starting to talk about organized religion through the ages is a topic as big as circumstances. <laughs> that's a 10 hours. That's yeah. six, six successive Sundays. Indeed. Six successive Sundays. Give me a parting shot and thanks for your good comments. Uh, uh, parents, don't rush your kids. Just, uh, give them time for the, uh, the, the deep being in them to, uh, the surface and uh, and uh, make itself known. Nice, yeah. Nice. Don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Exactly. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. You know, I just realized uh, this clock is way off, and this one is this one right? Because the hands are missing. But okay. All I got to do is get close enough to read it. Alrighty, we do have some time for some more calls. Emotional intelligence is our topic. You are indeed smarter than you think. And uh, arguing further that uh, emotional identity, that your whole identity of self, your uniqueness and individuality is much more bound up in how you feel and what you care about than your your mental nature. Your thoughts. Let's go to Glendale and Farah. You're on KPFK Intervision with Michael Benner. Hi. Hi, teacher. Hello. Um, I have just discovered you. This is the third week I'm listening and I'm taping your program. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, I have a question. Uh, like, I have so many questions, but the first one is that when I was in Germany, I was asking, I was, I stayed in Germany a few years, and I would uh, ask a lot of people what they thought about lying, about being dishonest. And unfortunately, 99% of the people believe that, you know, they, ha- they could have different covers for it, you see. Oh, you know, sometimes you have to save people's life by lying or by religion is okay. I mean, 99% or more, they believe that we have to lie. And I'd like to hear your opinion about it. Please. Yeah, well, it's a great, uh, a great question. I, as you probably, <laughs> as you probably have guessed, I'm one who, um, believes that uh, you don't really ever need to lie. I think that um, even an argument that sometimes we tell little white lies to spare people hurt, that's probably the only, um, and that's a slippery slope, but that's probably the only area where I'd, I'd go along, in which case I just wouldn't call that a lie. I would say that's a, uh, you know, like, 
you know, my wife says to me, does my, does my fanny really look big in these slacks? <laughs> no, you know, no, sweetheart, you look beautiful. <laughs> Uh, you know, little things like that. But I think if we understood the true nature of karma and we looked at the intention behind the lie, then we would realize that the best reason not to deceive, not to lie, and certainly never bear false witness, which is to lie about another person, is the horrible karma it creates for you. What it does is and there is no bad karma, by the way. We're never punished by the universe. But what we attract are circumstances to learn why it's in our best interest to tell the truth. The universe heals itself. There, there's this compelling drive in the universe to grow. As, as we know, life is growth. You, anything that's alive is growing, and the healing is part of that, learning and understanding, and the universe wants to heal itself. It wants us to grow. It wants us to learn. So if we lie, we are repeatedly going to be presented with situations to give us an opportunity to learn why it would be better to tell as much truth as possible, <laughs> the highest quality of truth you could possibly tell given what you know and, and other circumstances. So, yeah, I would say 90, I, I would give you the, the, the opposite response. I would say 99.5% of the time there's never, never a need to lie. And if you want to call me a liar because I tell my wife she's beautiful no matter what, well, I'll... <laughs> no, but I, uh, when I raise my kids, I never call them a liar. Because I thought if I once I call them a liar, that means I'm uh, labeling them. You didn't I'm allowing them. Call who a liar? My children. Oh, your children. Yeah, if, if, even if I wouldn't believe them, I would uh, wait. And I would always tell them there is a higher power watching us. Yes. But I never once called them a liar. And I think, uh, thank God, they're, they're very honest with me. I'll bet, <laughs> I'll bet they are. Yeah, but it's like lying is legalized. Why? That's why you go to the court and you have to raise your right hand and say, I swear I'm going to tell the truth, and a lot of times that's not the case. <laughs> but there is a whole there is a whole group of psychological disorders right. called they're technically called personality disorders, and they're incurable disorders, and they include um, um, uh, psychopathology, um, sociopath or psychopath, psychopathic right. used to be called uh, psychopath, now it's called sociopath. Right. Um, the narcissist, the uh, histrionic, the borderline, and particularly uh, the narcissist who, and, and the sociopath too for that matter, especially those two, they don't have a conscience. Uh -huh. They don't understand the concept of lying. They believe everybody lies. And so you've got to lie. I told, I had a conversation with one of these people in my life quite a few number of years ago, quite a few, quite a ways back, but I'll always remember this because this man was proposing to me that you have to lie to get by in the world. He said, you've just got to lie. And I said, well, I don't think that's true. And besides, people who tell the truth have a way of spotting lies and liars a mile away. To which he responded quickly, How? And of course I fell on the floor laughing because he wouldn't know. That was, ex <laughs> that was exactly my point. Uh, the answer would be, well, you'd have to tell the truth long enough to figure out what it's like to live in a universe of honest people. And so we tend to... to for whatever reason, admire these people and lift them to positions of power in the corporate world. A very high percentage of CEOs are mentally ill. They suffer from a sense of entitlement and superiority and a complete absence of conscience and a belief that you have to lie. And, of course, our government uh, in, in both sides of the aisle Democrat and Republican, but I've never seen it as bad as it is now with this uh, Bush White House where 
reality is whatever you want it to be. You just invent it. You just make it up. You just fake it as you as you go along with absolute contempt for the truth. And if if we have contempt for the truth, there is no love. There is no life. There is no growth. There is no healing. There is that's hell. That's that's hell. So. I prefer to just flip it around and let's talk about the positive, which is our passion for truth and speaking truth to power. And, and, and what higher calling is there than a perpetual search for truth and then to share your truth? What, what, what freedom? What liberty? How could we have freedom and peace without truth? A passion for truth. And, uh, there is a whole feeling set with, that goes with that. Again, it may sound like we're getting very empirical and very objective and very mental, but the search for truth is a passion, I think. In fact, often in philosophy, love and truth are the same word, sometimes hyphenated, love-truth. As if truth is love. The only truth there is is love, and love is the only truth. Something to think about. All right? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate your phone call. Have Thank a wonderful, you. wonderful day and a great weekend. Got Thank time you. for one more. Let's go to West L.A. And, Tom, you're on uh, KPFK with Michael Benner. It's Intervision. Hiya, Tom. Hi, Michael. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you very much for your radio show. I could talk to you for hours. And this is the first time that I've got through. And I listen to KPFK and the other programs. I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Yeah, right on. And before we uh, say goodbye, I'd like to get that 818 number on your workshop, too. But before that, um, it's just kind of a complicated question. It's hard for me to explain, but I'll just put it in a nutshell to see how I can do since we have limited time. Um, okay. Um, I just have about a minute and a half, so. <laughs> got it. Let's see if I can wrap it up real quick here. Uh, when I'm feeling... A kind of a longing or sadness or um, for for a connection with someone that is long is gone and they're not available period but when i when I see things in my experience synchronistically that remind me of this particular person and I feel that that pain or sadness in my stomach or feel like I would like to to go to them um, I have a difficult time interpreting that as is that happening inside of me all on my own or is is it because that person that is not in my physical presence anymore it's because they're putting out love energy or prayer or thought energy out to me and i have a difficult time distinguishing that and if it was the other person putting energy out to me i have a hell of a hard time trying to act on that and go on that as if it's real. Could you give me your input? Yeah, you bet. Um, first of all, I need uh, C, D, uh, an E, and a none of the above. Uh, those two answers aren't sufficient. First of all, the feel. This is the conundrum. The feeling you're describing is a feeling of being alone or lonely or alienated. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. Okay. Spiritual beings are everywhere, equally present. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we lose each other only in terms of appearance. So when you close your eyes and remember them, you can be aware of their spiritual presence, even if they're living far away or even if they're dead. Mm-hmm. That presence is still there. The longing, the heartache, uh, the sense of alienation is often an illusion of the mind because in terms of physical presence, they're gone. Uh-huh. Okay? I'm out of time, but what a great, great question. Thank you very much, Michael. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. And the number uh, that uh, he was asking for, for the workshop, and it's all on the website. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E, the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. You see a link to the workshop on the front page. Or call us at 818-973-3154. This is the last workshop. I've been here 35 years. 
moving out of state at the end of the year. It's the last one I'm doing, so hope you can make it. I want to thank D'Angelo for engineering, Brooks for producing the program, our wife Doreen for her invaluable assistance, and all the other good people at KPFK, and especially you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. You've been listening to Intervision on Radio Powered by the People, KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. And you can listen live also at www.kpfk.org.